Good morning and welcome everyone to our community act of worship today. This is the last Sunday in April and each passing week has brought the realisation that the way we do church is changing for the foreseeable future. Our core values of who we are and what we do as a church has not changed, of ministering, of preaching and of caring for you. However, we're having to adapt and rethink the way we communicate these values so that God's presence continues to reach all of our lives. I know this is difficult for all of us, but thank you for your prayers, for your advice, for your support as we seek to be your church community. We have made Thursday a day when we pray as a church family of First Balamoni Presbyterian, and every Thursday morning, an email is sent out to guide our prayers as God's people. It's also available through our Facebook pages. If you're not receiving it and would like to, please let me know. Finally, while I'm phoning many of you each week, please feel free to phone me for a chat if you want to. We are a church family together through this time and I don't want anyone to feel alone. And so I look forward to connecting with every one of you uh, through these weeks ahead, if I've already not done so yet. So as we join to worship today, let us hear these words from Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, on this Sunday morning we praise you for your presence with us in every circumstance in life. We praise you for your love that welcomes us today. For your forgiveness that cleanses us through our faith in Jesus as Saviour and Lord as we confess our sins. And for your hope that sustains us, not just today, but every day of our lives ahead of us. In these days, Lord, when some of us are losing sleep over income, over loved ones, over illness, we ask for strength to trust in you. To trust you with all our hearts because you loved us with all your heart when you sent Jesus into the world to be our saviour and because you gave us Jesus certainly we can trust you with everything else we really need. We ask for straight paths today as we seek to honour you with the decisions in response to the virus disruption, to decisions about employment and finances and transitions to choices for our children, aging parents and our health care. We ask that you will enable us to rest in your presence today, to have that peace that life isn't primarily about making the right decisions, but trusting in you, our Lord, today. And we know that even those right decisions that we have to make aren't always pain-free. But because you are our King Lord, every decision is never grace absent. And so by faith, Lord, we lean upon you today 
as fully as we know how. Be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Matthew 5, verses 20 to 26. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them, then come back and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who has taken you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Pat, for reading God's word to us from Matthew 5. Jesus is more concerned with the person you are than what you do. Jesus is more interested in your hearts than with your religiousness. Because if your hearts are right, then you will live right for him. But if your hearts are sick, then nothing you do is healthy. That is Jesus' perspective because it has always been God's perspective. You think of King David in the Old Testament. What's the difference between King David and the king who was before him, Saul? It was a matter of what God saw in their hearts. If you compare the sin lists of David and Saul, there's no doubt that David was a far worse sinner. Yes, Saul sacrificed a little too early before Samuel came, but he did not commit adultery with someone and he did not have that woman's husband killed. Saul didn't do those great sins. David did. Yet in scripture, David is the one who's commended by God. David is the one of whom it is said that he was a man after God's own heart. So what's the difference between David and Saul from God's perspective? Quite simply, David was a man who repented in his heart, whereas Saul never did. Or we fast forward to the New Testament to Peter, the disciple. Peter denies Jesus three times with an oath. Two things Jesus says we are never to do, to deny him before men or to swear oaths in this way. We'll later come on to that in verse 33 of chapter 5 as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. Yet in the early church, Peter is the leader of the church. Why? Because he repented of his sin with his whole heart. God has always seen 
and cared about our hearts. And Jesus' teaching here as the king of God's kingdom is all about our hearts as well. That is why Jesus says in verse 20, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is talking of a surpassing righteousness, not in terms of being more holy or good than the Pharisees and the scribes, but of surpassing them from the outward life to the inward, interior life. From what we do on the outside that everyone sees to include the person we are in our innermost being. That's the righteousness that Jesus is demanding if we want to be in the kingdom of heaven. So there's two things that Jesus is teaching us here about this righteousness. The first thing is that this righteousness recognises murderous words. The righteousness recognises murderous words. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, Jesus says, do not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. So Jesus here is talking about a righteousness that recognises murderous words. Jesus is saying anger is murder in the heart. And it reveals your heart when you treat someone as raka. Now, raka was an Aramaic insult word, which means you nobody. It's about your indifference to, to someone else, the kind of person you just look through as inconsequential. And then Jesus also says about calling somebody a fool. Well, that's the Greek word morose, from which we get moron which means you idiot. And what Jesus is saying here, he is forbidding us from insulting people, dismissing people, saying in our heart, they're good for nothing, they're worthless. He's not allowing us to have feelings that say, I could hit them, I could kill them. He says, if you have those kind of feelings and emotions in your heart, you will face God's judgment as well. Now here's the shock in what Jesus is saying. The murderer will face God's judgment, but Jesus is also saying that the person who is angry with his brother in his heart, who says, Raka, or you're full, will also be um, answerable to God's judgment as well. Why is Jesus so strong at equating our words with the action of a murderer? Why would insulting words cause God's judgment as much as someone who's taken someone's life. Because Jesus is teaching us about life in the kingdom community. This is about anyone who says to his brother or sister. That's about someone in the, the, the fellowship of Jesus' community. It's a community rooted in God's love that overflows in love for others. So if you are insulting fellow believers in Jesus... What are you doing? You're disparaging their worth. You're treating them as worthless. 
You are belittling their worth as someone made in the image of God. You're murdering their confidence in themselves. So when you use these words, you are disparaging their worth, but you're also destroying community. How can a church community thrive when such words are destroying the harmony of that community together? If there's anger in people's hearts, if there's contempt against someone else, if there's name calling, you are destroying the, 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 the cohesion of that church community. And thirdly, not only does it despise their worth, destroy community, it also develops sin. So what is sin? Sin is pride. Uh, it's self-centeredness. Uh, and such heart feelings reveal the heart of sin in a person. And the Christian community is about the love of others because of God's love for us. So to allow sin to develop, where pride is about me and nobody else, is a contradiction about what kind of community we are about. So Jesus is demanding a righteousness of the whole person that goes to the innermost heart. He calls for a righteousness that recognises murderous hearts and murderous words. And he doesn't stop there because he also then calls for a righteousness that is intentional about reconciliation. Look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. I want you to picture the scene of this sermon. This is the Sermon on the Mount. Where is it taking place? It's taking place in Galilee. Where is the altar that Jesus is talking about? The only place for Jews to worship is in Jerusalem because that's where the temple is. And there's only one altar in the whole country and that's in the temple in Jerusalem. Well, that's 80 miles away, probably on foot. So Jesus is preaching this sermon up, up in Galilee to these Galileans. And he says that when you get to the temple to worship, and as you go up to the altar to present your gift and you remember that your brother, that someone in your friendship community has something against you, leave your gift at the altar, go back the 80 miles home to be reconciled to your brother and sister, and then go back to the temple, another 80 miles down again, to present your gift. I was always shock in Jesus' words, and he does this for effect. He exaggerates to make his point. And Jesus' point is this, that reconciliation is more important than worship. That reconciliation in the kingdom community is so important that it has priority over worshiping the Lord. And what's more, you may not even be the one who's caused the offence. Verse 23, remember, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, it's not that you have against something else. We reconcile, that's implied, but they have something against you. You may be the innocent one. Someone started being a wee bit cold or distant towards you. And Jesus says that you must take the initiative and go and be reconciled to them. Because to Jesus, as long as there is sin in the church between members, Worship is compromised. So be reconciled so that your worship is not compromised. To Jesus, anger in the church is a cancer that is so destructive, destructive that reconciliation 
is of supreme importance over worship. And Jesus is talking about feelings in our hearts that eat away so that it can lead to anger, that can lead to murderous words and even murder itself. But he's also exposing feelings in our hearts that can't bring a person to enjoy you or being inwardly pleasant with you. If you love them, you care about their heart because Jesus says their anger will lead them to judgment. And because how can he bless a church when the church is not united in spirit in worship? And so Jesus says not just that you should be reconciled with others who you might have offended, but if someone has something against you, you go being reconciled to them for the sake of the Christian community and for the sake of God's glory. Jesus commands us to go and heal the distance and be reconciled to a brother or sister in our Christian community. It's an intentional reconciliation. But then Jesus' next bit is about being reconciled to those outside our Christian community. Verse 25, settle matters quickly with your adversary who's taking you to court. Do it while you're still on the way or he may hand you over to, to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. They tell you the truth, you will not get out until you've paid the last penny. Jesus is talking here about an adversary. It's no longer a brother or sister, which means in the Christian community, but an adversary, so someone outside the Christian community, and they are suing a disciple of Jesus. Here is some kind of enemy who wants to take you to court. Someone who is so angry that they want to make sure that you will be punished and end up in jail until you've paid back every penny. Jesus says, if they have anger in their hearts against you, you do what you can to dispel their anger. Jesus says, verse 25, settle matters quickly. Uh, come to an agreeable terms. Take the initiative. Uh, he's in the image you're trying to make peace while you're both walking uh, to the judge, to the courtroom. Jesus is illustrating um, how we should seek to make peace with every opportunity. What is God's will for your life? Jesus says that God's will here is that you are about being an intentional reconciler. Jesus wants his followers to live radically reconciled lives inside the community and outside the community. And when we talk about reconciliation, it's easy to take an example from Rwanda or somewhere to illustrate the outworking of this kingdom command. But Jesus here is talking about the ordinariness of everyday life in his examples. He is asking us to immediately suspend what we are doing today to find peace within our own relations. So we need to think about our relationships as husband and wives, our relationships of fathers and mothers to children, of sibling relations, of relations of neighbours and of community members and those whom we work. And Jesus is asking us to be intentional about reconciliation. So intentional that, that it, as a person in his kingdom community of him as being king, it becomes a pervasive lifestyle that we are intentionally uh, about reconciliation. 
And to be intentional means we've got to find the space to, to ponder, to pray and to discern where it is that we need to pursue reconciliation. Who are we out of sorts with? And are there people who may not even know that we are harbouring bitterness and resentment towards them? Reconciliation is not likely to be something that will happen to us as it is something that we will pursue in our relationships with others. That is why Jesus is talking about an intentional reconciliation. An example within marriage comes from Trevor Hudson who wrote a book, Discovering Our Spiritual Identity. And he writes how his wife pursued reconciliation with him because she wanted it, even when he wasn't aware of how out of sorts their relationship was. And this is what he wrote in his book. I recall one painful moment in my own marriage. I had just assumed responsibility for my first congregation. Obviously keen to succeed, I worked long hard hours. Externally things were going well. Attendance was increasing, finances had improved and a new church building was on the drawing boards. Within my marriage relationships, however, I was not doing well. Often away from home, I was denying the person closest to me the attention time and energy necessary for real communication and caring. Coming home late one night, I find a note at my bedside table. It read, Trevor, I love you and want to be married to you. Sometimes I worry though that one day I may not be worried if you don't come home. I miss you and want to reconnect. There is no way to create reconciled relations with those around us until we intentionally decide to act on what Jesus summons us to do here. Settle matters quickly. Take things into your own hands. Seek the person out. Leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. There are no other options here. Jesus is saying this is what it means to be in the kingdom of heaven. We are called like its king to be people of reconciliation. And that is why Jesus warns his followers of final destruction if they walk away from that reconciliation path. That is why Jesus says at the end that if we do not put his teaching into practice, we are like a very foolish builder. So we'll, we have a lot to pray about and reflect on. And with these lockdowns, we've time to think about the central realities of following Jesus. And as you Reflect on this teaching today. Follow through on the two questions that will appear on the web page as well. As you reflect in the light of what Jesus is saying to those disciples long ago about what he's saying to us as his disciples today. Let us pray. Our Father, we still our hearts and acknowledge that you are the King. And it's your kingdom that you are inviting us into, a kingdom that will last into eternity. Help us, Lord, to take seriously the values of what it means to be in your kingdom. May your Holy Spirit enable us to have the strength and the courage to seek your glory and your will in our lives, and so that we are intentional 
about loving others the way that you have loved us. Loving them in our hearts, loving them because they are a human being made in your image, loving them in every difficult circumstance that we face. Lord, it is not easy. Some of us have very difficult uh, relationships with others. But help us, Lord, have the strength of love and grace that you have shown to us to rise above the hurts and the words and the, uh, the pain that others have caused us to show grace and love and point to you, a God who has reconciled us to yourself through Jesus. Lord, this is the gospel that has touched our lives. This is what it means to be the salt of the earth and a light to the world. Help us shine, Lord, in all your glory, because your kingdom is above all other kingdoms, because you are the king of everything. And you're a good king, a loving king, a glorious king, a forgiving king. Give us the strength, Lord, to be your servants, to follow you today, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.